All right. Well, I am uh, especially excited to be at our home church, Plum Creek Chapel. I'm the luckiest uh, pastor in the world. We've got a fantastic uh, church. Uh, we pack it out every Sunday with like-minded people who come from all over because, uh, you know, we preach the Word of God unashamedly. We uh, handle the Word of God correctly. We clearly and accurately and urgently, pro urgently proclaim the gospel. And uh, so it's, uh, it's just a joy to, to be a part of this work and to see God bless. Um, I'm also the founder and president of Not By Works Ministries, which we've had for 20, let's see, 1999, so whatever that is, 23 years now. And in that role, we travel the country uh, speaking at conferences and churches, uh, again, uh, boldly, accurately, and confidently proclaiming the gospel. But we do that uh, primarily, at least the last 10 or 12 years, through the lens of end times Bible prophecy. And as Maggie said, about uh, 15 years ago or so, uh, through a providential lunch meeting. I was teaching full-time in academics. I spent 12 years in academia before uh, we went full-time with Not By Works. And uh, through a providential lunch meeting, just kind of began my journey down the rabbit hole. And um, uh, 15 years later, these books are kind of the, the, the product of that. So many of you, uh, if you came to Majestic View, you, you heard me talk about uh, Volume 1. Volume 2 just came out Monday. It was actually supposed to be released tomorrow on Satan's favorite holiday, Halloween, kind of an in-your-face to, to Satan as we expose him. Uh, but the books came in earlier and the demand was there, so we just went ahead and released it this past Monday. So we have some of those uh, at the back. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm honored to, to get to talk about one of the topics that we uh, address in the book. But before we dive into that, I want to say, and I don't do this nearly often enough, but I want to say a huge... Thank you to my wife, Wendy, who has walked with me in this journey. Uh, well, we've been married over 30 years, but the awake journey for 15, and has, was really instrumental in helping uh, me with both of these volumes. She did a lot of uh, editing. She did a lot of, uh, made a lot of suggestions. But more than that, she's, she's been on the front lines taking, you know, taking the flack, you know, taking the hits. And as I mentioned in the preface to volume two, you know, Satan does not like the stuff that we are exposing, and uh, he's the great deceiver. And so anytime you speak truth, he, he doesn't like the light to be shined on him. So uh, we've faced some spiritual warfare with, the, with Volume 1, which came out in March of this year. Uh, and uh, it seems like with Volume 2, Sunday night, it started again, uh, the day before it was released. And so far, it's been... Okay, we just had one little skirmish, but we weathered that storm with uh, Satan's attacks. But just pray for us because uh, lots more to come. You know, the Lord is just beginning to open doors and, uh, you know, opportunities for radio and TV interviews. And so we know, and, and my wife, you know, is right there with me, fully eyes wide open that this, this is going to bring some, you know, negative repercussions. And so uh, just pray for us about that. But what Maggie asked me to uh, speak on, and by the way, the books are available at the table at the back. If you're interested, uh, you know, you can pick one up. If you don't have volume one, I've got some of those too. One point of clarification, you know, our home church is, is so awesome, uh, and it's a great partnership with Not By Works Ministries. They actually purchase uh, a lot of my books at cost and make them available to our membership, and they are out on the table in the lobby. Um, some of my other books. This is numbers 10 and 11. So if you 
like what I have to say or you think you might be interested in some of those books, by all means you can pick those up out in the lobby, but those checks need to go to Plum Creek Chapel or cash in the little box on that table because those belong to the church. They purchased them, and we want to make sure that the money gets kept separate. The two new books are here with Not By Works Ministries, and they're on the table at the back. If you're interested in those, then you can uh, get those through Not By Works. We take credit cards, uh, Federal Reserve notes. Um, we prefer gold or silver, but uh, we'll pretty much take whatever you've got. Um, so anyway, just to clarify again, Spirit of the Antichrist books at the back. Any other books that you may or may not be interested in, get those from Palm Creek Chapel in uh, the lobby. All right, so let's dive in. Um, Maggie asked me to address uh, the subject of uh, CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currencies, and the coming One World System. So I have a lot of that in Chapter 2 of the new book as I deal with Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. I'm going to expand on that because we have more time than than what I had space in the book to deal with it. So this is kind of an overview and then a little bit more data, more up-to-date uh, data. But CBDC is uh, central bank digital currencies. It's basically a digital token that central banks issue and is really intended to eventually replace all forms of monetary uh, transaction. It's, uh, it's about much more than that, as we shall see momentarily. But I wanted to mention that uh, this is not the stuff of... Uh, you know, conspiracy theorists, I don't like that word, as I talk about in the first volume, conspiracy theory is a uh, made-up term that the CIA created in the late 60s to combat truth seekers. Uh, I have a section in there called the conspiracy theory conspiracy, but it is what it is, and today most people th talk about conspiracy theories, they assume that means you're a tinfoil hat nutcase. Um, that is not the case by any stretch, in fact, uh, the uh, Federal Reserve it has been working on rolling out CBDCs for some time. And as proof of that, you can just go to the Boston office of the Federal Reserve, the Boston Fed, and go to their website. And you'll see them talk about Project Hamilton, which is now in its second phase. You can read the executive summary. And they talk, for example, about how CBDCs could exist in various forms depending on the central bank's objectives, including general purpose CBDC that can be made available to the public for retail, e-commerce, and person-to-person -person payments. So they always like to tell you what they're going to do before they do it, and it's usually kind of hidden in a real subtle way. But they are rolling out, if the Luciferians get their way, what they expect to be a total surveillance control grid where you cannot buy a lawn chair at a garage sale without having to use your CBDC, unless you do it you know, illegally on the sly, which of course is why we're all here, right? We're a bunch of lawbreakers, you know? Uh, who needs the medical establishment? We've got our own medical community. So, but that's what's coming. Um, so this executive summary that they talk about, uh, they're hoping it, for it to be fully implemented by the end of 2023. Now that's interesting because if you read in volume two, uh, chapter four, I go into the Luciferian timetable and I talk about how for almost a century now they've been targeting the mid-2020s as the final endgame to roll out the New World Order. That's not my timetable, that's theirs. Now, as I say in the book, it doesn't mean it's going to happen because we believe God is the ultimate arbiter of the timetable and he may say, hey, we're not ready for this. So just because that's what they want to do doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it helps to know what the enemy wants to do. And they've been striving for the mid-2020s. So it's not surprising then, since CBDCs are a huge part of this 
overall one world system agenda that they would be targeting in uh, this Hamilton project uh, 2023. Uh, but they're working with all the different uh, central banks. They're working with MIT uh, to develop the technology for it. Uh, they've been doing explanatory research for years and they're, they're very close. Now, I don't have to tell this group that central banks throughout the world, not just the Fed, are all privately owned. Uh, they are essentially the Luciferian uh, monetary mechanism. That's how they function. You have to use money to function. That's what the World Economic Forum is all about. I talk about that in Chapter 2. Um, and so uh, we need to be sure we understand that these federal, these, these central banks, like the Federal Reserve, are private, uh, but they really do control the purse strings. And it's, it's as we're going to see, it's not about just tracking transactions. It's about much, much more than that. So uh, in terms of a biblical reference that I think should pop into our minds immediately when we think about CBDCs, it would come from Revelation 13. Now, I imagine in a group like this, we have people from all kinds of uh, theological backgrounds, but I'll be in full disclosure right up front. Uh, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And uh, every Word of God is flawless. And so God's Word clearly tells us that after the rapture, there's going to be a seven-year period called the 70th week of Daniel or the tribulation or the great day of the Lord's wrath, during which the Antichrist is going to rule in a tyrannical regime at the behest of Satan. And part of that regime is going to be rolling out what, we, what the Bible calls the mark of the beast. Now listen to what Revelation 13 says about the mark of the beast. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. That's just a series of... Uh, figures of speech called merisms to basically say everybody on the earth is what he's trying to say. It, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, I'm not suggesting that CBDCs are the mark of the beast. We won't know what the mark of the beast is until after the rapture and the Antichrist rises to the forefront and takes over the world. But Revelation 13, what it says is going to happen is precisely what they're saying they're going to be able to do with CBDCs. So, in other words, if the rapture were to happen today and we were to enter into the end game, this would be the perfect way for them to fulfill what God's Word says is going to happen during the tribulation. You follow me? So again, I don't leave here saying, oh, JB said CBDCs are the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is not here yet. It won't be here till the tribulation. But the stage is being set, and it's being set in a variety of ways, geopolitically, morally, you name it. And as it relates to the mark of the beast, it seems clear as day to me that the CBDCs could be setting the stage for the rollout of this mark of the beast control grid. So, uh, you know, central bank digital currencies, basically with CBDCs, governments can absolutely change money from a technology that facilitates economic exchange, which is what they're saying it is, right, into a tool of total enslavement. So it involves a cashless society, a digital transaction system, full spectrum control, planetary surveillance. It's basically a technocracy with programmable money. It's total enslavement. That's what they're trying to do with it. And I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. Uh, but, you know, in the United States, we're falling right in line with the World Economic Forum's plan for the global CBDC. On March 9th of this year, 
President Biden issued an executive order according to which all federal agencies were required to issue reports on the viability of CBDCs and how they would affect their departments and, and what, to what extent their department had something that would be involved in this rollout. And so he asked for reports from the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of State, the Attorney General, the Secretary of Commerce, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Director of the Office of Management and Budget, Director of National Intelligence, and the heads of many other relevant agencies. And this is straight from the executive order. And, uh, and then these were submitted in September. That was the due date. And a review of these reports of several agencies uh, that were made public shows that they all are in lockstep agreement that what the United States and indeed the world needs to do is completely re-engineer the entire monetary system. Let me say that again, to completely re-engineer the entire monetary system. So, and as one commentator who's read all of these reports uh, in detail says, uh, you get the sense that they're talking about changing more than just the dollar. And indeed they are. They're talking about changing everything. It's completely re-engineering all of our financial uh, payment systems. Now, here is uh, Cecilia Skingsley. And uh, this was a meeting October 14th, so that's 15 days ago, no, 16 days ago. Um, and this was uh, sponsored by the World Economic Forum. There were several speakers at this meeting that was live streamed. You can still go to YouTube and watch the recording of it. I did. Uh, other speakers included Her Majesty Queen Maxima from the Netherlands. If you know anything about the Luciferians and the bloodlines of the Luciferians, uh, the, Lu the Netherlands goes way, way, way back in the bloodlines. Uh, she's also United Nations Secretary General Special Advocate for Inclusive Finance for Development. And then you had the Managing Director of the IMF, the Deputy Managing Director of the IMF. Um, you had uh, Ms. Skingsley here, who is the uh, head of the Bank for Inter International Settlements Innovation Hub which is the subset of the Bank for International Settlements that is working on CBDC. So she's kind of the tip of the spear there. Uh, you had um, other speakers like from the Bank of Indonesia. You had uh, Bloomberg's uh, Global Economics and Policy Editor and several others. But uh, she's with the Bank for International Settlements. And if you, if you know anything about the Bank for International Settlements, it's essentially the central banks of all central banks. Okay. It is where all central banks throughout the world kind of, you know, are under, not necessarily in terms of governance, but in terms of policy and working together at their behest. Uh, the innovation hub of which she is the head exists. This is from their own website. I always like to go back to their original source and see what they're saying rather than assume other people are quoting them accurately because I've been burned uh, before by a lot of misinformation that people will put out there. Um, I don't have time to tell that story, but one time, quoting directly from a mainstream newspaper, you know, they ended up coming back months later and retracting it. And so you can't believe anything you see from someone secondhand. You got to go directly to the source. So this is what the Innovation Hub says they're all about. Quote, we identify in a structured and systematic way critical trends in technology affecting central banking in different locations and develop in-depth insights into these technologies that can be shared with the central banking community. We develop 
public goods in the technology space geared towards improving the function of the global financial system. Uh, let me just insert, there's nothing wrong with the global financial system functionally. What's wrong with it is we're spending too, money, too much money in printing money. <laughs> we're just making money out of nothing, you know. Um, but functionally, it's a means of exchange. It goes all the way back to the beginning of mankind. If you had real money, not fiat fake money, it works. You want something, you have something I want, I give you something in trade, and it's, it's called bartering. It's, it's, there's nothing functionally wrong with the system, which tells you it's not about what it's about. And then finally, they say, we serve as the focal point for a network of central bank experts on innovation with regular events to promote and exchange views uh, and knowledge sharing. These efforts complement the well-established cooperation within the Bank for International Settlements hosted committees. So in her case, uh, she is pushing for the CBDC. She's out speaking at every place she can go, including this live stream uh, two weeks ago. But here's what she says. She said CBDCs must be combined in a package with global digital IDs. Now, do you understand what that means? They're saying you can't have one without the other. That if we're going to have central bank digital currencies where people just have a number associated with them and they drop your money in there every month, your food stamps, your whatever, your uh, uh, you know, special gifts that the government gives you, these stimulus rollouts and all of that, uh, that if you're going to have that, well, you've got to have a global digital ID. We've got to be a, a way to track you. And so they're mixing them together. By the way, this is what I, I've come to believe anyway. This is what the COVID vaccines were really all about. I mean, yes, they were about population control in both senses of the word, depopulation, killing people, which is why the last time I checked, which was yesterday, VAERS has shown 18 million adverse effects in the United States alone from the COVID vaccines, 18 million. But you don't hear a word about that in the mainstream media. So yeah, it was about depopulation, but it was also about population control in the other sense of the world, and that is full-spectrum planetary control. That's why they coerced people into taking the vaccines. I mean, people were offered lottery tickets and free cars and, you know, everything they could think of, uh, marijuana, you know, to come get this vaccine. They needed a pretext for requiring digital IDs. And the first phase of this was vaccine passports. Remember that? It didn't really take on much in America, but overseas it was huge. People still use them today to fly or travel or come and go, get, get into restaurants, whatever. So that's why we had the vaccine mandates, by the way. Uh, they claimed they weren't mandating the vaccines. They, they said, oh, you've got a choice. You know, you can either get the jab or be fired or you know, get the jab or be quarantined. Uh, it's your choice, which, of course, was not really any choice at all. Um, by the way, the only choice the Luciferians really stand up for is the choice to murder your unborn baby. That's the only choice they want you to have. And thanks to SCOTUS, it's now legal across the entire country as long as the state says it's okay. See, unborn children, according to SCOTUS, have no constitutional right to life. We are a constitutional republic. Do you know what that means? 
with all the recent mandates and decrees and executive orders and medical regulations and medical tyranny, we've kind of forgotten that simple fact that we are a constitutional republic. And the U.S. Constitution says that all citizens have the right to life. No one can take an innocent life. And this includes born and unborn. In a constitutional republic, individual states cannot enact laws that violate the United States federal constitution. But now, thanks to SCOTUS, states don't have to worry about that. SCOTUS has ruled that the unborn do not have any constitutional right to life. It's up to each state to decide whether you can kill your baby. See, the Dobbs decision on June 24th was not a good thing for the pro-life movement. It crystallized once and for all that the unborn have no constitutional rights. It was a geographic decision determining where you can kill your baby, not a constitutional one determining whether you can. And I'm sorry if I get emotional about this, but so many conservatives have missed that. And it turns my stomach the way conservatives are out there cheering this decision. Sure, right now some conservative states like Texas or South Dakota or Florida are outlawing abortion. Praise God for that. I'm glad that in people in those states aren't going to kill their babies. But if you know the big picture, if you look at it not myopically through one thing, but step back and look at the big picture like a master chess player seeing several moves ahead, you recognize this is exactly what they want. Because what's more likely to happen? Do you think it's more likely that liberal states like Colorado or California are going to somehow have a moral conscience and decide, wow, this is wrong, we're going to outlaw abortion? Or is it more likely that over time, because of the depravity of man, like 2 Timothy 3.13 says that things are getting worse and worse, is it more likely that the conservative states are going to eventually go the way of all depravity and make it legal? And now the unborn have no constitutional recourse. This constitution, the, the SCOTUS has punted. They've said, oh, we don't care about the unborn. We're just going to leave it up to the states. So this is all part of the master plan. So uh, it's all about control, and, and that's what the vaccine mandates were all about. That's what Bill Gates was pushing with ID2020. Remember that? And now this is what he's pushing with IA2030, IA, Immunization Agenda 2030. Their tagline is everyone, every age, everywhere, every vaccine. That's what they're striving for. And it's not about the vaccine, which is bad enough. It's about setting the stage for the CBDCs. So Skingsley says, you have to push societies into new equilibriums. That's the new catchphrase you're going to hear all over the news within the next uh, few months. Oh, it's just, it's a new equilibrium. You know, we had it after COVID and now we had it after 9-11. Now we have it now. It's just the way things go. In fact, uh, she actually talks about, uh, I don't even know, I'm not sure if it was her or Bo Lee, I'm going to quote him in a second, but one of them at this uh, live stream that I watched was talking about how, you know, it's kind of like when we came out with, literally they said this, with uh, indoor plumbing, sewage systems, and the automobile, you know, uh, people really didn't want that, and so you had to push them into it. Talk about revisionist history. I mean, I don't, I imagine globally there wasn't one person that said, no, I prefer to, you know, out in the woods almost, said something a preacher shouldn't say. Uh, you know, they all wanted indoor plumbing. They all, everybody, nobody, I mean, yeah, change is always negative, and sure, there were some late adopters, but nobody, you know, they, they, these things, you know, cars and stuff caught on because they were a good thing. And, and this is, there's no comparison, but they're 
pushing. They're pushing it. Uh, so basically what they're, what they're doing is they've been plotting and planning this since Operation Dark Winter in 2001. And the COVID, the pre-planned uh, scamdemic, as I call it, was rolled out, you know, right on schedule. And it was part of pushing people into this, uh, you know, place where everyone in the world is trackable. That's what they're trying to do. It's classic Hegelian dialectic. In volume one, I have a whole chapter on that. Hegelian dialectic just means you have some place you want people to go, but they're not going to go there willingly. So you create a crisis which will cause people to beg you to do what you wanted them to do all along. And that's what they're doing uh, with this vaccine. People, most people that had a brain didn't uh, take the vaccine. They recognized the dangers of it. Uh, as I talk about in volume one, I have 50 pages documenting hundreds of thousands of medical professionals across the world that early on were on record saying this is dangerous, don't do it. And, uh, and, yet, and that's why they had to coerce people into doing it. Uh, but most people, as I talked about this morning at our message here at Plum Creek, jumped right on the bandwagon of the mob uh, mentality. But notice that word push. Notice that word push societies. Every word in the Luciferian agenda is chosen intentionally. And several years ago, Kaz Sunstein, who worked in the Obama administration, uh, was out there promoting, and he's written books about it, what was called the nudge theory of behavior modification. By the way, Sunstein's married, or at least was, I haven't checked recently, to Samantha Power, uh, who's a professor at Harvard and the former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Uh, they're all connected, you know. Uh, but anyway, in just a few years, a decade or, or less, we've gone from nudging to pushing. And before long, they're going to go to shoving and dragging, kicking and, and screaming. So, Skingsley added... A predecessors, uh, oh, I, I said this already, it was Skingsley then. She said they did this with electricity, sewage, and other uh, things like automobiles. Well, I don't know that anybody was complaining about electricity instead of candles, you know. But uh, anyway, she says, we want to do this again with money. It's going to be good for the banks, and we've got to get society to take these steps. We've got to be bold. Now, another speaker was Bo Lee. He's the IMF Deputy Managing uh, Director. By the way, he worked for many years at the People's Bank of China, and uh, he's, you know, he, he says he says this: CBDCs can allow government agencies and private sector players to program, to create smart contracts, to allow targeted policy functions. But ask yourself, who will be the ones doing the programming, and the contract writing, and the targeting? They will. In other words, like an end-user agreement, you know those things we all sign without ever reading on our smartphones? They can change the terms of use anytime for any reason, updating it with things you're not allowed to do, not allowed to say, not allowed to eat, not allowed to watch. And if you don't, you know, agree to it, then you'll have no money. They'll just turn you off, and you will have no means of exchange. He goes on, for example, welfare payments. For example, consumption coupons. For example, food stamps. By programming these CBDCs can pr be precisely targeted for what kind of people can own and for what kind of, that should say use, this money can be utilized for. Notice that what kind of people can own things. That's what he's saying. 
it's a strange quote because I, I typed it in from what, the way he was saying, and then, you know you don't speak like you're right, so he's he's just speaking at this conference. But you know he he emphasized what kind of people. You know you got to be the right kind of person to have the right to buy things and own things, right? What kind of person is that? The kind of person the Luciferians want on this world. And if you're not one of those kind of people, they have no use for you. So again, this is the exact purpose of the mark of the beast. The idea that you've got to have the government's permission to buy or sell, and that's where we're headed. If you go back to Bo Lee, he said CBDCs are made to create smart contracts. Now, always be leery of the word smart. I've said for years that whenever you see smart, like smart home, smart meter, smart washer dryer, smart fridge, smart TV, smartphone, you name it. Just think spy. We had a battle years ago when we lived in Texas on five acres with gated property and we were had, did battle several days in a row with uh, the electric company wanted to come put a smart meter on our house and we wouldn't let them on the property. Um, they called the manager out the next day. Well, what's the problem, sir? I said, you're the problem. Get off my property. We don't want a smart meter. I mean, what part of that is unclear? Um, David Knight cleverly points out that whenever someone puts smart in front of something, it's because they're playing you for a dummy. <laughs> so always be leery of the word smart. Uh, Bo Lee also talked about how CBDCs would be beneficial for controlling people socially. Institutions can take advantage of the data... That's why they're marrying CBDCs with a digital ID. By following the model of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, that's what we want, right? And he went on to extol the virtues of social credit scoring. And he gives examples. Uh, you should go watch the video. He says, uh, you know, for example, maybe insurance companies can be privy to how many coffees you drink. Well, uh-oh, I'd be in big trouble if that was the standard. Or, do I use Uber every day? Well, they don't like how much carbon emissions you're emitting. They'll just turn you off, and you'll go to buy milk, and the person will say, sorry, you're, you have nothing in your digital account. You can't do it. I mean, this is scary stuff. Uh, so does the government really need to know all this? Do they need to know how many coffees I drink? Well, remember what Justin Trudeau did you know, in Canada. He would freeze the accounts of anyone who contributed to the trucker protests. Remember that? He didn't like the moral stand that these people were taking. And so he says, I'll show you. We're going to take all your money. A PayPal recently uh, allegedly accidentally released like a 20-some-odd page document uh, that said they're going to penalize people $2,500 if they don't like what you have to say on your PayPal account. Then they rescinded it, and I saw just recently they've reissued it. So it's now back out there again. Um, so this is what they're, this is what they're uh, doing. If they don't like you know, your worldview, or the things you're saying, they're going to they're gonna control you. So there have been a lot of rumors out there that CBDCs could begin to be rolled out as early as December 13th of this year. And one thing to remember is that it's not monolithic. You know, there's so many variables at play. It can be rolled out in certain parts, you know, already like it is in Europe with the vaccine passports and then over time others. The uh, Boston Fed document that I referred to earlier talks about how globally they're targeting 2023. By that time, they want everybody on board. 
but there are some sectors, and Newsweek and Venture Capitalist magazines talked about this, that uh, talk about uh, rolling it out as early as December of this year. They're calling it C-Day, and uh, some are calling it Biden Bucks, uh, which will be rolled out like uh, the stimulus checks were, except digitally. So that's going to be the, the hook. You can get your free money, which is not free, uh, but you got to sign on to this CBDC technology. No longer are we just going to send checks, right? you, you got to sign on. James Rickards and Robert Kiyosaki, you probably know those names, they call this the most treasonous act in U.S. history. So I'm not saying it's going to happen that fast. Um, who knows? Uh, and it's, it's, you know, the Luciferian timetable is tricky because they're not omniscient the way God is. So they have infighting and competing agendas and setbacks. But I know this is their plan because they're telling us this is their plan. It's not some threat that's down the road. It's happening fast in keeping with uh, the timeline that I discuss in chapter 4 of the new book. So... Um, just a few more uh, comments, and then I'll uh, take the questions. But Catherine Austin Fitz, many of you know her. She said, I would describe this as a slavery system. So we're talking about shifting out of freedom, where we have freedom to roam, freedom to say what we want, into a complete control system 24-7, including mind control. Technology gives you the ability to institute a complete control system and further centralize economic and political control. Joseph Farrell says CBDCs in the hands of central banks coupled with social credit scoring systems. You know, if you say something mean or politically incorrect, that's what we're talking about here, would effectively not be a currency at all, but more like corporate coupons whose value or lack thereof could be adjusted on a case-to-case -case basis depending on your behavior and your thinking. Um, you know... This uh, is uh, Tom Mutton, who's the CBDC director at the Bank of England, one of the central banks. He says, quote, you could introduce programmability. There could be some socially beneficial outcomes from that. Socially beneficial for who? Preventing activity which is seen to be socially harmful in some way. For example, teaching your children that God made mankind male and female. And in, in some parts of the world right now, if you teach your children that, they'll take your kid out of the home because you are teaching them lies. That's what they say. So when you, add, when you couple CBDCs and, and a digital ID, now when you say something like that, they don't even have to shame you or cancel you like they've been doing the last few years. They just turn off your ability to, to buy things. Back to Catherine Austin Fitz, if, you don't, if they don't want you to be able to use your money more than five miles from your home, that's it. Your money will turn off five miles from your home. And this guy, uh, Augustine Carstens, he's the head, the head of the Bank for International Settlements, um, so the one that, that Skingsley works for. He said the key with the CBDC is that the central bank would have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that expression of central bank liability. In other words, we're giving you the money, we'll tell you how you can use it. It's our money. And they have the technology to enforce that. Uh, uh, Brian Moynihan from Bank of America says, we want a cashless society. They're not even trying to hide their objectives anymore for those 
who take the time to look. This is from a 2019 conference held in Montauk, uh, New York, where he said, we just we want to cast this aside. That's what we want. We're working hard to get it. So what can we do? In a minute, I'm going to yield back to uh, Maggie, and, and she's got some things to say about this. I want to kind of get you thinking big picture, and then I'll take any questions you might have before Maggie comes back up. But um, what, can, what can we do? Well, first of all, I would say buy gold and silver. Now, why would I say that? And by the way, I've known uh, Bill and Chad Roach at Cornerstone for almost 12 years. I, I had them about 10 years ago on my radio program in Illinois. Love them to death. Uh, highly recommend them. I've sent a lot of business their way. Um, but why would I say that's number one? Well, because if the economic system is going to be completely re-engineered, which, by the way, to interject, in order to make that happen, they're going to have to collapse it. It's what they call order out of chaos. It's part of the Hegelian dialectic. So by all accounts, if the Lord tarries is coming, we're headed for a massive global economic collapse, the solution for which will be, oh, we've got to roll out this global CBDC tracking system. But if and when that happens, <clears throat> the ability to trade tangible commodities that are you know, limited in quantity that are God-created, such as gold and silver, and they're not the only commodities, is going to be uh, huge. Um, by the way, it might interest you to know that in the New Testament, the, the word translated money in the English Bible is the word silver in Greek. Because really, that's the only money there is, is a commodity of, of inherent value, not something that's just made out of, of thin air, you know. Um, secondly, uh, develop a community support system. Now, that's what this is all about. But uh, if, if things uh, collapse and go the way they look like they're going and go the way the Luciferians are trying to get them to go, it's going to be important to have a community support system where you can get people to help you with things that you're not able to do and you can help others with things they're not able to do. So developing a community support system, and I think Maggie's going to give even more ideas about that. Uh, this is a big one. Trade service for service and value for value. Yeah. Uh, what we mean by that is, like I just said, if you have a community support system, there might be services you can provide that someone else needs, and in exchange, they can provide services for you. If you need dental work done, um, you know, but maybe, so you go to your dentist as part of the community, maybe you can offer to do yard work or something for them in uh, exchange. And value for value. I mean, in a end of the world as we know it scenario, when the traditional monetary system collapses, you know, there, there could be scenarios in which, <clears throat> well, I mean, I could, I could think of scenarios in which a roll of toilet paper might have as much value as a silver coin, right? I mean, it depends on, I guess, what you had for supper. But anyway, uh, it, it, sir, value for value, I mean, right now we value things based on the stock market. And if you, if you have gold and silver, you're looking every day at Kitco and you're saying, oh, silver's at $19 today. Well, that's artificial. That's controlled. It's made up. The real value of something is what someone's willing to pay for it, right? So my mom is a retired antique dealer. She dealt antiques her whole life. She had a retail store for years. Uh, and I, when she had the retail store, when we would go visit, I'd walk into the store and I'd see some thingamajig hang, you know, sitting on a shelf. I had no idea what it was. It would have a price tag like $395. And 
And I go, Mom, $395 just looks like a piece of junk. She goes, oh, no, that's a such and such. And it was used in this, you know, 100 years ago for this and this. Oh, that's very valuable. And I go, well, how many of them have you sold? I said, she said, none. And I said, well, how long has it been on the shelf? Oh, four years. I said, well, then that tells me it's worth zero. <laughs> it's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it, right? And so that's what we mean by value for value. And then finally, prep. <laughs> Uh, you know, there was a time when preppers were given a bad name and they're kind of mocked and the TV kind of makes light of them with reality shows. It's thoroughly biblical to prep. Proverbs 22, 3 says, a wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it. If you don't see trouble coming now, I can't help you. So you need to become self-sufficient. Uh, stockpile supplies. I mean, be, be reasonable, but stockpile things that you might need. I mean, it's good even if the world keeps ticking for a while. I mean, suppose there was a, you know, a, a fire or a, a severe snowstorm or something that caused you to be without power for a while. It's just good to be prepared. So, you know, learn how to skin a buck, run a trot line, cook your own food, grow your own food, you know, build a fire. Learn how to do the things that you might not be able to do if they turn off the electricity and if, if things uh, change. So become self-sufficient. So... Talk about all of these things and much, much more in both uh, books, and be glad to uh, put one in your hands after the uh, after the conference or after the session today. So, uh, I know Maggie's got some stuff that we want to talk about as a group in terms of more what can we do. But uh, does anybody have any questions specifically for me about anything that I've talked about uh, related to CBDCs? Um, let's uh, hand him that mic right behind you. There. Oh yes. If you guys, if you have questions, if you pass the mic around, that way uh, we can try to pick you up. <laughs> what was this morning? So. No. Are you trying to get me all discombobulated? <laughs> You're not helping. For those of you who don't know, I'm not a cat lover. Actually, as I always say, I love cats. They taste like chicken. But anyway, we, he's referring back... Referring so back to you touched on gold and silver, right? Um, we should buy gold and silver, something with tangible uh, value. What is going to happen to our dollars in our savings account, checking accounts? Yeah. And secondly, where does cryptocurrency come into this? Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like sure. that. Sure. Great question. So, for the record, in case it didn't pick up on the mic, the question is. Uh, What's going to happen to our dollars? And also, where does cryptocurrency fit into this? Um, so caveat, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not giving financial advice. I'm just sharing my studied opinion, and I could be wrong, okay? But uh, I have come to believe and, and taught for many years now that if you can't touch it, you don't own it. So whatever you look at your portfolio and whatever it says online, just be prepared to wake up one morning, log into your accounts, and have it be nothing. That's, we've already seen that happen with pension funds and in other countries, and we saw it happen with the, with the Canadians. So if you can't touch it, you don't own it. Now, as far as when things collapse, what's going to happen to your money? It, my best guess, and that's all it is, is a studied opinion, is that in the immediate aftermath of some type of world-changing event, the, the physical dollars that you have are going to have value for a while, a short while. I'm talking weeks or months. But eventually, that's going to be worthless. It's going to be nothing. We've seen that happen in other countries. So I would have some cash, 
available for the immediate term, and I would try to spend it quickly on things that you can convert to tangible commodities very quickly while it still has value. So I wouldn't jettison cash altogether. I would have a mixture currently of commodities and other you know, tangible things you can trade. It's not just precious metals. It can be ammunition. It can be medical supplies. It can be books. It can be paper goods, all that kind of stuff. And I would have cash. Okay. So as far as cryptocurrency, boy, and I know people disagree with me on this. I, I based on my principle, if you can't touch it, you don't own it. I think cryptocurrency is... Uh, is not a good idea. I know people have made millions on it. I have a good friend who made millions of it. He's with the Lord now. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's something that it's kind of like playing the stock market. You know, it, it's good when it's good, but it's, it's not something you can control. Uh, it's essentially uh, touted, if you will, as a private version of CBDCs. But the fact is, anything digital is not private. See, they can, they can hack into the NSA servers. They can hack into anything. I mean, this is not, it's not private unless you can physically hold it, and they're going to have to come through you and 45 of your friends to get to it in your house, you know. So I'm not a big fan of it. People that probably are a lot smarter than me might have a different opinion, but uh, I, I think hold on to some cash, but uh, certainly don't leave a huge amount in some digital account because I I just that that worries me things are very very volatile right now that, that's my opinion yeah um, so I have a question I brought this up at another meeting that we were at as well um, for those of us who don't own their properties outright we have mortgages um, I have been taking what money I have and trying to do what you said and buy tangible things um, but that things that I can move I've been a little afraid to I build a greenhouse, I bought a generator that I can take with me. Um, do you have any insight or any thought as to what is going to happen to those of us who have debt, such as mortgages? So nobody owns their property. So the question is, what about uh, people that have mortgages and debt and things like that? You need to understand, in America anyway, nobody owns their property. Just, you, you know what I mean? Even if you don't have a mortgage, you don't own your property. You're renting your property. The minute you stop paying your property taxes, they will take your property. So nobody owns their property outright. You have to pay to rent it. So the reason I bring that up is that uh, obviously being debt-free is ideal because it creates a lot of freedom that you might not have otherwise. But when it comes to your home, I think we're going to have to be way far down the road into complete and utter tyranny. I'm talking like Chinese tanks and Russian tanks rolling down the street before they start dragging people from their homes. Um, because frankly, taxes are so high now, if someone can't afford their mortgage, that means there's going to be a, a fair amount of people, a large amount of people that also can't afford their taxes. So they're going to be in the same boat. So again, I'm not downplaying the, the, the principle of being debt-free. I think that's the best bet, but I really wouldn't lose a lot of sleep over paying off your house. In other words, if, you know, if I had a couple hundred thousand dollars and I was deciding what to do with it in liquidity, and one option was paying off my mortgage, another option was investing in things to be prepared for what's coming, I would probably invest in things to prepare for what's coming, personally. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. You have to, between you and the Lord, decide what to do. But I just don't see the value add in a, in a tumultuous 
time such as this to paying off your mortgage. 50 years ago in our grandparents' generation, absolutely, that would have been priority number one. Um, but I think that things are too urgent right now. I personally, I would prioritize other things, you know, than that. Uh, did you have a question, Dave? Well, I think you answered my question. I was going to ask about real estate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at least uh, this is, again, just my opinion, but from a financial perspective, that would be my answer. I think if there's a val uh, valid reason to invest in uh, a bug out place or a property that's in a safe location, like say you live in a suburban area that's a high target area, you know, if you have the means and are able to buy, you know, 20 acres somewhere remote where you could bug out to, I think we're a long way from them literally patrolling every square mile of this country and and get you know hunting people down we could get there if the lord doesn't come back uh, but they're going to go for the low-hanging fruit so in an end of the world as we know it scenario if you live in a metropolitan area you need to have a plan and that plan needs to have some place to bug out to that's going to be lower on their priority uh, list uh, yes yeah um cbc cbdc as well as Uh, the question is, is digital dollar and CBDC being used interchangeably by the, the media? Often they are, but there is a distinction. Digital currency is a broader, or digital dollar is a broader term. Uh, so like cryptocurrencies would be considered a digital dollar, so to speak. But CBDC is a specific global plan put together by the central banks. Of course, that's the CB and the CBDC to put into place a global you know, digital ID slash transactional tracking system. So digital dollar would be a broader general term. CBDC would be more specific. Sorry, Maggie. You, I, I, my thought was people could just kind of pass it down the road. But I, while I'm walking here, I feel really bad that you're having to do this. Correct? I don't feel bad enough to come down there and do it myself, but I do feel really bad. You're recording this, correct? I am, yes. Okay, so tell your friends to go on notbyworks.org. Yep. And they all can see this presentation. Yeah, so I'm recording the video and, uh, you know, the audio, of course, and we'll have it posted by later tonight, so. JD, for those of us that have younger friends or, or children, and there, there's a dilemma between saving for retirement and potentially purchasing a home. And they're wondering, you know, what if I draw on my 401k now and then I don't have anything later? Yeah, so the question is uh, sort of the tension between, for young people especially, saving for retirement versus buying a home versus taking stuff out of your 401k, using it for something now, but then later in retirement you don't have anything. You know, again, I'm, I'm not a financial advisor, so, you know, I don't want to speak, you know, as if I have some, some great authority on the matter, but I can tell you where my heart is and where my gut is. I just don't see, by all accounts, that we, you know, that we're going to have a, a traditional retirement 40 years from now if someone's 25 years old. Um, and it comes down to number four on this list on the screen, 
self-sufficiency. So um, I think you're better off um, investing in knowledge and ability and access to water and rivers and fishing and hunting and all that. Uh, so that, I mean, you think about what life was like even a hundred and, let's say, 170 years ago. So what's that, 1850, if I'm doing the math right? I was public schooled, so you'll forgive me. But, um, you know, think about the little house on the prairie genre, right? You know, they just moved west. They built a house, and Pa went out all day and got dinner, and the kids worked, you know. They didn't play all day and do one hour of chores, they worked all day, and if they were lucky, they had 30 minutes of singing songs around the fireplace before they went to bed. So think in those terms of, you know, we can do this. We have uh, the ability. We have the intelligence. We have the resources. Can I survive if I have to? And then once you've checked all those boxes, then I, I, I say do what we've tried to train our children to do. We have six kids and one granddaughter, and that is, you know, live life now pretty much normally. I mean, we didn't sell all our belongings and move to a mountaintop and sing Kumbaya and wait for the rapture. We're, we're living as if the Lord's going to tarry his coming. But I tell you what, if some cataclysmic event happens, we'd be way ahead of the curve for most people. And so I think you need to think in both and, not either or. Um, I mean, again, you can save in a 401k, and I, I know a lot of people that, that do that. And, of course, right now, I don't know why you would. It's just tanking. But um, even, even when it's going up, you just have to ask yourself, what am I prepared to lose? Um, you know, if you can touch it, you're not going to lose it. Unless, I suppose, theoretically, someone could come in, murder you, and break into your safe or something. But in theory, you're not going to lose it. If, if it's just dashes and dots on a computer server somewhere, pretty easy to lose that. I mean, think what happened after 9-11. We had, you know, complete shutdown of the stock market. You know, and that was just one event. So, I mean, if it were, let me put it this way. If it were my kids, I would say I wouldn't worry about, you know, building up a big retirement account, uh, especially at today's interest rates. I would save that money in another more accessible form and be prepared to use it when, when, when the digital currency is rolled out. So I wouldn't build up a huge 401k. You know, traditionally, I remember when we were first married and we met with financial planners, it was, you know, if you invest this much every month in retirement, by the time you're 80, you're going to have $2 million or whatever it is, which will last you till you're 95. If you live to 96, forget it, you're sunk, you're just going to be poor. But hopefully you'll die before you reach 96. You know, and that, that's the way the, the advisors would talk about it. So I don't know that that world exists anymore in my view so yeah yes uh, are you familiar with the term foreign national in regards to not paying taxes and if so what do you think about it i'm not familiar with that in in detail i mean i know what a foreign national is but i don't know the tax implications okay. sorry That's all right. anybody else yes okay. yep you Well, I talk about Elon Musk in detail in Chapter 3, and he is not a good guy. No, no, <laughs> so, I know that. Yeah. So, is there some, how these 
I, yeah. The question is, is there some way that this is, has, Elon Musk and Twitter has something to do with CBDCs? Yeah, I think it's very possible. Uh, he's a tool. Um, and if you talk about social credit scores as part of the, you know, full spectrum planetary control and tracking system, then it, Twitter is the biggest social network out there. I mean, seems like there could be a connection to me, yeah. Okay. Well, um, if there's no other questions, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Maggie, and then I'll stick around uh, as long as needed. And I hope you'll uh, pick up uh, pick up the book if you're interested in it. And if I can ever help, my card is on the table back there. Love to stay in touch, stay connected, answer questions. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I'm not going to make something up. I'll just tell you I don't know it. But uh, love to dialogue with you. So thank you guys. Thank you very much.